I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, with a big breath, I want to dive into introducing my next guest because it's it's going to be an interesting chat. I'm certain of that, but I've actually managed to get her on a day when she's experiencing a moment of very live discomfort, which we will definitely be talking about. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce Marilise de Villiers is a woman with a mission. We've gotten to know each other recently. And you know when you just meet somebody that you, you think... We have to be friends or acquaintances or collaborators or something. There's something that we need to do or talk about or cover together. There's something we need to put into the world. And so I, in our last chat, was like, would you be on my podcast? Because she is an amazing woman who's been through a lot, who's who's turned it into beautiful things for the world, who's turned it into passion. And I'll dive into who exactly she is. Her life philosophy is centered on six high-performance habits that she teaches her clients as she helps them become trusted business partners who are credible and taken seriously. So she works with executives and people who operate with impact and influence, leaders. And she herself has worked at an executive level within the cybersecurity space, as well as having a background in consultancy, one of the big serious ones that you probably all heard of. And she's navigated some very difficult conditions that have made her stronger have enabled her to take back her power and rise above the circumstances she found herself in. We're talking about things like bullying, about having your knees taken out from under you by a boss in a meeting, about experiencing abuse in her childhood. So all of this has shaped her mission and her work and her passion. So never make the mistake of thinking she's softly spoken because underneath it lies an immense amount of power I've already discovered. And her book, Roar, which is a great name, was published the end of 2019. It's an inspirational story about her personal journey in learning how to deal with the bully in her life, including her inner bully, finding her voice, and having the courage to roar. And who doesn't want to be able to roar when they need to? So the book is for people who want to succeed in life but are feeling stuck because of a bully. And again, that might be a toxic boss, a coworker, or maybe themselves. So she set up her own consulting business and has... Having gone through her own personal transformation in mind and body, recently put out a TEDx talk, which is now online, which she's only just discovered, and which maybe you've put something big out into the world that's very vulnerable, that's very you, and you can relate to how she's actually feeling today. So she runs an executive coaching program and equips clients to rise above the challenges of their environments and embrace the change that they can make in their own teams and their own habits and improve impact and performance at work, which actually really beyond the corporate speak we all must use to market our services, it's really about taming your inner bully, taming your challenges and having impact in the world. So Mary Lise lives in Surrey in the UK with her wonderful husband, her two amazing sons and a Labrador, Stella. I'm a bit jealous of a Labrador. So I'm really excited to talk to you today, Mary Lise. Welcome. Thank you so much, Betsy, for having me. I am so delighted and honored to be with you today. 
Well, usually I dive into the first question about what's an uncomfortable moment that shaped your life, but let's get into that second because let's talk about today. Let's talk about when we we came online with each other and you were you were saying, "Oh my god, I've just discovered my TEDx talk is live." How are you feeling right now? How uncomfortable and excited and scared and just describe today right now. Yeah, so it was initially it was a uh, very sort of uh, wow, it's, it's online, you know, it's there, it's out in the world. And then almost instantly, um, I think I've just had the loudest shout from my inner bully, um, just saying, oh my God, <laughs> I cannot believe this is out there. And I just want at this right, right at this moment, my heart is beating so fast. I'm having heart palpitations. So I'm actively doing my breathing exercises so if you're hearing some heavy breathing just bear with me but yeah I literally had a meltdown five minutes ago because it is just so big and the imposter is just attacking me right now (laughs) oh god I got goosebumps when you were saying that because this is this is the juice this is the kind of thing that people really need to hear you know you you hear Marilys, who teaches this stuff, breathing, but it's it's like the death gasps of your inner bully. You do all of this work and then you get to these moments where things are starting to happen. The world is starting to recognize what you're bringing and you're stepping into your power, but it wants to drag you back to the past, to the ways that your nervous system has been programmed. Mm-hmm. So this is a really beautiful illustration of really being in productive discomfort because you brought it to the world anyway and you're going to breathe through it. And you're going to be fine. And they're not going to take it off the website. So (laughs) (laughs) it's there on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show notes. But first of all, thank you for bringing that to the world. Talk about the process of getting there. What was the process of creating that TEDx talk that it's not like you're just up there talking about your invention or something you've done at work. You're talking about your own story and your own mission. So what was the process of practicing and writing that TEDx talk to put into the world? So about six months of probably constantly uh, changing and refining and um, getting more vulnerable by the day. So initially the first the first draft of the talk, and of course you've got to go through auditions. So I first had to apply. Um, so out of 80 um, applications, they chose 20. So I was one of the 20. That was back in January. And then we had to go through two auditions um, and then address rehearsal. So it's a very intensive process. Um, the theme, the theme of the event was on resilience. So um, the organizers actually contacted me. Um, one of one of my very good friends, Rob May, he sponsors the event. He's, an, he's also a TEDx uh, speaker, um, and he sort of runs the whole thing. And he contacted me to say, Marilise, this is the perfect theme um, for your for your story. And so, um, yeah, it started as me talking about all the bells and whistles about resilience, but then stripped it right back to this is me, this is my story, this is my experience of abuse, 
throughout my lifetime. So sexual abuse as a child, but then um, later on in life, uh, workplace bullying and how I've met, been able to connect the two in terms of my own behaviors, the role that I played, the, 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 you know, the patterns of behavior that you develop, which are unhelpful behaviors and that inner bully, as you've, you've, you've um, highlighted earlier. And so, yeah, just sharing my story of how I silenced my inner bully that is back with a vengeance today. <laughs> Not a surprise. You, you poked it with a big old stick that was like, I'm ready to go live out there in the world. But you rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, didn't you? And yeah. each time, each iteration of it was... How did each iteration go? Because you said it really beautifully when you explained it to yeah, me before. Yeah, it, it was, um, I think the first four or five times I rehearsed it. Um, and so in front of live audiences, okay, Zoom audiences, but live audiences, so new people that have not heard it before, um, was tough and I couldn't really get through it. It was so hard to get to that moment where you make yourself vulnerable, so vulnerable where you share your deepest, darkest secrets. And so it took me about four or five goes to, to not break down halfway through the talk. And so one good thing about the actual talk on the day is that I've managed to to get through that, I mean, you have to feel the emotion and you always feel the emotion, but you go back to that emotion without being the victim. And that's the key difference. You can only really go back to the pain and revisit the pain and talk about the pain if you've, if you've really healed and you've really worked through it. Wow, I can relate to that. Yeah, so you're not re-traumatizing yourself exactly, every time. Exactly. But it took a lot of practice. And also bravery of going back through the story 70 million times, which obviously you've done throughout your life as you've healed it. So, okay, that was just an interesting peek under the hood of how it goes to prepare for a TEDx talk, but also a TEDx talk that is really, really personal because, I mean, there's always a personal element, always something very inspiring, but yours is incredibly personal and we'll get into that. But let's rewind to question number one, which is not question number one in this case, but what is a, an uncomfortable moment that has shaped your life and who you are in the world now? I mean, I think it has to be that day when um, I was demoted in front of my team in the boardroom by my by my bully boss. <laughs> um, so this was literally after four years of working with him and him chipping away at my confidence daily. Um, and me getting to the point where I was bullying myself, you know, I wasn't only getting bullied, I was bullying myself. So in, in the boardroom that day when he announced um, that basically um, I'll be working on one project instead of managing the portfolio, um, that he will be stepping in to do my job. So he's saving the day. Um, and me just sat there frozen. I just couldn't say a word and crying my eyes out afterwards in the bathroom and then realizing, but this is it, enough is enough. And finding that sort of um, little voice inside me that sort of um, said, you know, Marilise, you're better than this and um, allowed me to, to quit the next day. And that really was the start of my whole transformation journey. Mm, that enough is enough moment that a lot of people probably don't get to. You know, if, if anyone listening has been bullied or is being bullied, getting to that moment of enough is enough or getting to the point where your body just stops. I was in a job where I was bullied and I was off sick and I finally got to the point where I realized I, I just couldn't continue in that role anymore and I wasn't willing to 
just quit. And and I had a friend who'd gone through a similar experience who was like who who supported me in staying to fight. She's like, Betsy, that payoff, that money they need to pay you because of how they've treated you is yours. Don't let them get away without being accountable and paying it to you. And yeah, so if anybody is in a similar situation, you have the reserves you need. And also something beautiful is going to come of this if you let it. So yeah, that's part of the story we'll get yeah. to. Because just diving further into your story, so much of the work you do is about owning your own story. And we've talked previously about, you know, sort of all the things that have made your story. But let's let's explore that, sort of the, the lens of productive discomfort, the lens of bullying in particular. But just talk about your story, the uncomfortable bits that have actually really become part of the beauty, the the gold that mends the broken bits. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, something that I've started saying and, and I'm starting to teach people a lot in my work and my coaching and my training is, is around your your best life is on the other side of your biggest obstacle and life life happens for you. It doesn't happen to you. So everything that happens happens for a reason, a lesson or a blessing. And I didn't necessarily appreciate that um, earlier on in my career. So I sort of slaved away for 16 years working in a corporate environment where I just had my eye on the prize, which, which was a partnership. Um, but it was it was never meant to be for me. It wasn't it wasn't how my story was supposed to go. But I was so headstrong and I was so, so into this, um, you know, that is the goal. <laughs> but all along, I was kind of climbing the wrong mountain. So I, I honestly believe that the uh, bullying experience happened to send me um, up a, a different mountain and to allow me to start climbing a different mountain. And that's why the, the whole premise of Roar is it starts with clarity on your authentic purpose. Because when I started climbing the new mountain, I realized that even the abuse as a child and the eating disorder that sort of followed for 15 years, they were all experiences that extracted and reinforced and ignited that purpose, that unique purpose that I have, which is to give vulnerable people a voice. I love that idea of stop climbing the wrong mountain. And sometimes life takes care of you by knocking you off that path, by knocking you off the wrong mountain, which can feel a bit violent at the time. But yeah, stop climbing the wrong mountain. What a great message. So you recommended this amazing book called Unbound, and we sort of promised that we would talk about it because I've just finished it, and it's amazing. It's by somebody called Kasia Urbaniak, and okay, here we go. I di- I'm dying to have her as a guest at some point, but she trained as a Taoist nun for 17 years while also working as one of the top dominatrixes in the world. <laughs> so put those two together. She's got this Eastern philosophy, but also this sex work, but it's, if you understand sort of the dominant submissive world, the BDSM world, it's really about power. And so she brings the two together and she started this organization called the Academy, which teaches women about power, which trains them to be in their power. And we were talking about how we needed to talk about this on here because that the way she explains submissive and dominant is just so clear and in a way that I've never heard before. So she explains dominance as attention out and being able to hold someone in your attention so that they can relax. It's about this really masterful way of 
holding space so someone can relax and be fully themselves. And submissive is when you turn your attention inwards and feel so completely what you want and are able to receive it. And she talks a lot about turning the spotlight and how power moves with attention. And I just loved, I so enjoyed this book because you also talked about, you kind of whetted my appetite for it. We're talking about falling in love with no. And I just want to know, like, what did you find from this book? But also things that you already knew, because I've seen a lot of things I already know about energetics and no, and I've done a lot of work in very male environments and had to be quite play with that dominant submissive energy. So what struck you about this book? What strikes you about this book? Let's just shoot the shit on this amazing book. It, isn't it just wonderful? I mean, I, I have such a crush on her as well. And uh, I would also, when you meet her, when I meet her, let's just share her between us because I just think we will um, have an amazing conversation, three-way conversation. Um, so the thing that the thing that really struck me is how women um how the, the 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 question she always asks is what do you want and how very few women actually know what they want and so for me that really resonated because it's it's obviously with my work as well where female and especially in a corporate setting female executives you know we are so focused on pleasing other people so focused on serving other people so focused on you know just never never us you know so we we are always so happy to keep everybody else happy but not look look inward and actually prioritize ourselves on our list of priorities so really asking ourselves what do i want and then when she talks about power dynamics and i actually talk about this in my ted talk as well it really really resonated with me was this ability when we talk about power it's not a pose, it's not an outfit, it's not a mood, but it is actually your ability to access your deepest desires and then to express those desires fully so that you can become inc incredibly influential. So not just influencing yourself and others, but also influencing the world at large. And, and that, that, that sums it up for me, really sums it up for me. Absolutely. And she talks about such a key differentiation, the difference between a desire and an ask, because so many people, act, they don't actually know what they want. And until you formulate an ask, what you're actually trying to influence someone to give you, it's just a desire. And a desire could be, she used an example of, I love to spend more quality time with my partner. And you kind of leave that up for interpretation. And then you get something you didn't really want, because instead, what you could ask is, I really loved when we spent an hour just reading our books together on the sofa with my feet in your lap. Could we do more things that bring that sort of closeness and intimacy and quietness together? That's an ask rather than mm -hmm. just the vague desire to have something. And it might be a promotion at work, but like, no, what do you, what's your ask? And it really, she does a lot of really useful exercises in the book. And yeah, she particularly focuses on women, but I think this is useful for, well, I'm creating a course, an undergrad course that I'll be teaching on leadership and negotiation and advocacy. And I'm thinking about how to integrate just helping them to understand and practice the energetics of asking and influencing because it's so important in negotiation and advocating for yourself. But yeah, what about falling in love with the no? I'm still getting my head around that. She does a lot of practice on pushing. Yeah. So what's, what I love about her is how she... Um, 
it's that sort of playfulness that's in her in her work so um she would sort of um really um kind of it's almost like you you know you go into sort of acting and and I think that's where her dominatrix sort of background is is really helpful but it is that sort of um not getting what you want and accepting that it is going to to happen you know and especially when you step out of your comfort zone and you put yourself out there not everybody is going to like you not everybody is going to approve um in fact you know there's that sort of 33 percent of people who are going to love you 33 percent of people that are going to hate you and 33 percent of people that are going to be indifferent so you've got to get comfortable with rejection and I think a lot of the times, I think when you when you when you look at the good girl conditioning, so she talks a lot about the good girl conditioning. So, um, you know, stay stay in your stay in your lane, keep quiet, sit in the corner, um, and and please everybody, you know, do not disrupt the status quo. That that's where I think she's sort of saying we have to step out of that comfort zone and really start inviting and be comfortable with hearing no with rejection because that means we can start really tapping into those desires tapping into who we are who we want to be how we want to show up in the world and I think that's so powerful she also talks about how the new good girl is the independent woman that idea that oh I can do it all myself and it is the antithesis of it's not asking for anything and it it, I wrote down a quote that I wanted to bring out here because that has definitely been a pitfall for me of thinking I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anything. I'm, you know, I'm not a good girl, but I'm not needy or just kind of misunderstanding what it means to ask people for things that actually, she says, every time you ask someone for something, you are offering them a role in your life. Asking someone for less means offering them a lesser role. So when you see that as maybe even lacking generosity to allow other people a role in your life, it really flips the lens. And it's really empowering, isn't it? Because no one is an island and we all must navigate this world as best we can, but with the help of others. And being able to ask for that freely is such a relief, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's recognizing that sort of, as you say, that's that two that's the dominant energy and the submissive energy, and being fully in that submissive energy, and that's a vulnerable energy, right? That's a you know you've got to really make yourself vulnerable, but that's the most courageous thing you can do, um, and I always think that's really being able to, as as you've so beautifully put it earlier, that that explicit ask, um, and being really quite explicit about what you're asking of the other person but also being able to say even the stupidest thing of someone giving you a compliment and just being able to say thank you very much and not saying oh but you know this this dress let's say someone uh, gives you a compliment on your dress he's like oh that dress was like 20 quid at Primark you know and it was just a cheap cheap dress I'm like no thank you thank you so much I love this dress too and I think that's um that's that's not something we do very naturally as women, I think. No, and it is very particularly <laughs> female. She, because yeah. one final point that I think is really useful to bring up, and then we'll guide this back to your work because it's all related, which is why you love this book so much, and why I love this book so much because I'm being guided more into that kind of work. But talking about resistance and conflict as an opportunity for potential intimacy, but with yourself as well. This is what really struck me and and is really relevant to your work in 
dealing with your own inner bully and taming because that's a nicer word than dealing with I suppose Mm -hmm. but you talked about when we stay curious and stay in the uncomfortable place we reach the thing the other person really cares about when we're in a point of conflict but what really Mm -hmm. struck me is that that's also true about ourselves when we sit in discomfort as I talk about so much when I teach yoga or on this podcast we often reach the point of seeing what we really care about because we see what we're avoiding. We see what's keeping us from our superpowers. I talk about superpowers being on the other side of discomfort. You talk about your best life being on the other side of your biggest obstacle. But that that not avoiding resistance or conflict is is a real freedom because if you realize, it, oh, it's like a game now. I get to see what this other person really cares about and really thinks and how can I work with that so that I get what I need and they get what they need. And I've experienced that as somebody trying to change laws and run campaigns. And if you approach everything as win-win, it's game and it's really fun and everybody ends up happy and then you've changed a few laws. So how do you bring all of the stuff we've just talked about, about the energetics of attention and being able to not only ask for what you want, but see it in the first place and then deal with conflict, inner conflict, external conflict, internal bully, external bully. How does that all show up in your work? Because your approach is really interesting. And if you want to dive into your steps that you take people through, that would be great. But just take this wherever you want to go. Yeah, I, I just want to, before I go into the, 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 the four-step process, so ROAR is a four-step process. It stands for recognize, observe, assert, and redirect. So I'll, I'll, I'll dive into that in a bit more detail. But you talk about this sort of working through things and sitting with things. And I love that because I think it's important to recognize that um, stress is, is a fact of life. Um, I, um, I'm currently reading um, John Kabat-Zinn's book on full catastrophe living. And it's, it's, it's a beast. <laughs> it's a doorstop in my house because it's like, it's like six inches thick. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. an absolute beast. But the, the whole, so he's, he's um, created the stress reduction program. Um, and it's, it's, it's essentially um, all around mindfulness, meditation, yoga. And it is really that a concept of dropping in and getting still and, and sitting with the discomfort, which is not something I've traditionally done. And it's kind of bit me in the backside. I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it, but it's that sort of lots of times in my life, I've put things away in boxes. I've denied it. I've sort of, no, I'm okay. I'm moving on. I don't, I don't need any help. I'm fine. You know, after my sexual abuse, my parents um, got my sister professional help. She saw a psychologist. I just insisted, don't worry about me. I'm fine. And of course I wasn't fine. Um, and that sort of then resulted in my eating disorder, which I suffered from 15 years and which landed me in rehab. So I wasn't fine. Right. But it's that sort of working through the pain and recognizing that we all have it. You know, let's face it, for many of us, the most toxic relationship that we will be ever be in is the relationship with ourselves. So we've got to start learn to be kinder to ourselves. So again, I say all love starts with self-love, you know, so the inner work for me is so, so, so important. And so when you when you show up in any conversation with anybody, it's having that positive regard. Um, I call it it's the mindset of I'm okay, you're okay. So you're not just having positive regard for either yourself 
or for the other person. It's for both. And I think that's really where conversations become productive and where you can create, as you as you've alluded to, those win-win outcomes, those really key outcomes which, you know, we're not worried about the individuals so much because it isn't really about the personalities. It's about the big thing that we're working towards, right? So if you take my steps, um, recognize, observe. So recognize is really where you go into a difficult interaction. So this could be with yourself. It could be, you know, your inner bully having some chatter going on, or it could be someone else. You're being being met with resistance, someone else, um, it's just being a being a dick. <laughs> um, so you basically have this sort of ability to stay calm, to recognize what's going on, but not to get worked up about it, not to get defensive, not not allowing it to actually get your back up. So the whole recognize piece is all about understanding the dynamics that's playing out and reading the situation. Um, In a bullying context, if you know you're dealing with a bully, then it's spotting the bully. It's looking out for those behaviors, which you know are bullying behaviors. Step two, observe, is then to really stay present. You have to really listen very, very carefully to what the person is saying, stay calm, and the breathing here becomes so important. So really regulating yourself and not allowing that stress response to activate um, or to disassociate you, so not kind of withdrawing from the situation. So regulating yourself in this kind of second step, observe, is is absolutely crucial, staying calm, staying present. So that's all the inner game stuff, right? So recognize, observe is all the inner game stuff. And then you're then moving towards asserting. So step three, assert, is then all about saying the impact, stating the impact of what the person has said or their behavior. Never the intention because you don't know their intention. And when you when you go to why do you feel the need to say that to me, immediately you get their back up, right? So you've got to be really clear about this is the impact it's having on me. This is how it makes me feel. Or you can say, help me understand. You you must ask questions here. If you don't have enough information, this is where you've asked these beautiful questions. And that's where the curiosity you've mentioned, Betsy, come in. Because being curious about the other person's vantage point, about the other person's perspective, being really interested in where they're coming from. Um, so it's about being curious, not furious, <laughs> and just being really, really open to seeing the world from the other person's lens, from the other person's uh, perspective. I think that's so, so key here. Mm. And just before we move on to the last step, yeah. I'm just thinking about the first two. It's sort of about being and sitting in discomfort. And then obviously the second two are really about sort of moving forward and creating yes. a plan. Yes. Do you find that it's sometimes a hard sell to get people to be in those first two steps? stages because it's not something that we do naturally in our very doing society or do you find if people come to you they're really up for that piece of the work I think it's it's um the people who generally start working with me want to change and I think they 
once they've tried it a few times, they see how it works. Um, and I think that's the that's the beauty when you actually start working with it and you repeat it a few times and you, and you can see that your interactions get more productive, your interactions get better. But yeah, we're so quick to jump. So often I say to people, you, you listen to be understood, not to understand. So the people will be saying something and you will already be thinking about what you want to say next. And, and so many people in corporate environments operate like that in a meeting and you can just see how it how it pans out, how it plays out. No one's actually listening. Exactly. So no one's <laughs> yeah. actually just taking that step back and actively listening. So, yeah, it's 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 absolutely pivotal. If you don't do those first two steps, everybody in the room, <laughs> you're going to you're going to you're going to have a, a real uh, shit fest going on soon. <laughs> Yeah. Well, take us through the final step. And then if you have any examples of how this has transformed your life and how you came up with this method, and also maybe how it has really some examples of how this has landed in people's lives to bring it to life for people. Because mm -hmm. steps are great, but it's those stories that really stick in people's minds. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think it's the, so I said assert. So assert, assert is, is an important, it's, it's a specific word choice because assert is a, a confident energy in terms of you really have to be confident about stating your feelings, um, asking the difficult questions, um, so you've got to be in that space where you are really comfortable in your skin, right? And and you can be really assertive. Um, so yeah, the final step is then all about redirecting the conversation. Step four, redirect. And that's about creating win-win outcomes. And that's about focusing on what are we trying to achieve here? What is the goal? And not about, this is not about you. It's not about me. It's about us, it's about we, it's about us as a collective and what we are trying to achieve. What is the greater outcome here for, for everybody? Um, and that's where we've got to start kind of removing the egos from the conversation. And it's not always easy to do that. But yeah, moving towards that win-win outcome. Because you do a lot of work in predominantly which sectors? Because this is also interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, so I work predominantly in, um, in IT and cybersecurity, which is very, very male-dominating environments. 10% um, cybersecurity, just to give you an idea, 10% women in the industry. Um, so we're struggling to get women into these careers, um, youngsters um women are just typically not um um attracted you know to stem we call it stem careers so science technology engineering and maths um because it is perceived as something that boys do so we're we're working hard to change that perception in the industry and then of course once women do get into the industry uh, we then start talking about a, a leaky pipeline <laughs> Because it is then a case of women not feeling welcome, um, contending with boys, boys clubs, um, um, boys banter, all that sort of thing. And then, you know, women, women choose to leave because they don't feel welcome. They don't feel like they belong. So this is really partly about empowering women to navigate very male-dominated industries, isn't it? And to, yeah. to then hopefully change the culture in those industries because... They're standing up to toxic practices or things that have just been sort of normalized for a while now. 
So I know you work quite a bit with women in the cybersecurity space, but not not just with women, not exclusively with women. So who tends to come to you and, and where are they sort of hurting or burned out or needing this approach in their lives? Yeah, so essentially it is it's really about people feeling stuck. Um, so you are typically um, working, I, I always say bur- burning the the candle at both ends. So really working very, very long hours, working harder, not necessarily getting the recognition and just feeling absolutely exhausted. So um, obviously people relate with my story and that's typically when they come to me, when they recognize that burnout situation. And I, I always talk about how I was so headstrong and resilience with sort of in quotation marks because that's not really resilience I the so-called resilience for me was that I I don't give up and of course there comes a point where your body just begs you to stop (laughs) Um, so it it really is people that have have recognized that they want more from their life and Mm. they want to live their best life and they want to change something Um, but they're not just quite sure what that is. And then I help them get clarity on that, clarity on their life's purpose, but also then real um, embedding real sort of high performance habits around your daily health practices, you know, not, not just your exercise and your nutrition, but also how you re re energize and recuperate and relax so all the sort of mindfulness practices that comes comes with it as well Mm. it really makes a good point about what resilience actually is which is all of those aspects do you have a definition that you use for resilience then I, I use an analogy, <laughs> which for hmm. me is about how how you weathering life's daily storms. So are you are you mentally and physically fit to weather life's daily storms? And I always I always say to people, imagine yourself being thrown over overboard into deep choppy waters, and your only only option is to either sink or to swim What are you going to do, right? So for me, the resilience is the ability to swim. And recognizing that self-care is a necessity, it's not a luxury. So you've got to do it every day. You've got to build that resilience muscle every day, the stamina every day in order to weather those storms. And it's it's very similar to your um, your phone. Once once your phone battery goes to 30%, um, you, you recharge it, right? <laughs> Um, but why why don't we recharge our, ourselves? And and that's the thing is we've mm. got to really be very tuned in with our minds and our bodies. And when we get into trouble, we've got to apply that self-care. That's a really good metaphor about the phone and actually so true and something that even those of us who seem to have good well-being practices or we teach it tend to forget. Do you find in the people who come to you, are there certain... Is that like a threshold of discomfort that a lot of people have to get to? Because obviously, if you're a high achiever in your career, if you've achieved a certain level of success, if you're in even certain sectors, you're probably a pretty strong person. And strength can really be a stumbling block in terms of actually taking care of yourself and being truly resilient because you mistake strength for resilience. Like you were just saying, you know, being strong. So do you find that there's a certain people sometimes just have to fall over before they actually realize they need to reprogram and do things differently or 
Or do people spot it ahead of time? Or have things changed? Are women more sensitive to it than men? Is there a generation shift? Like, what's the threshold? Is there sort of a common threshold? I, mean, I think that's that's a really difficult question to answer because I, I do think it's very unique and you get all all spectrums in terms of, you know, people who have literally um, been literally been to the point of burnout, got to the point of burnout and and have to sort of start getting back up again to people who are just generally a bit stuck. Um, so they've they've not quite um, fallen over yet, but they, they're getting dangerously close. <laughs> but it is, it's really uh, p- part of my mission in life is to get people to recognize it earlier on and to see walking away as a sign of strength, not as a sign of weakness. Um, for me personally, I <clears throat> probably should have walked away two years prior um, in, in my sort of bullying situation, I was there for four years. And um, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is really that had I gone on sick leave for a period of time, it would have allowed me to get perspective, but I refused to do it because I thought that was going to be perceived as me failing. And so I always say to people now, walking away gives you that perspective. It's a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. Oh, wow. And that runs so deep. And actually, I talked about that in my last solo episode of quitting and and not seeing it as failure of actually walking away from things that aren't for you. But do you find that is just generally something that people perceive that if they walk away from a difficult situation, they're quitters or they're failures? Especially high achievers, especially people like us who are high, high performing and um, we 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 are often our own biggest enemies when it comes to that because we if we come back to that sort of resilience point it's um it's it's at what point does resilience become foolish stubbornness you know in terms of you know i'm just too stubborn i'm too headstrong and i'm just ignoring my body begging me to stop you know the anxiety attacks that i had every day for six months it was mm. it was crazy. I mean, I would literally walk over the bridge um, in London, and there was a particular point. And if I stepped on that particular point, I would start getting um, uh, a breathing difficulty, and I would have to phone my husband to just calm me down, so I could just walk across the bridge, and then approaching um, the bully's office, and then having to walk past the bully's office. It was just like a little. It became a little ritual, but it was my body saying, "Can you just stop doing this? Can you just?" freaking stop (laughs) yeah there's so much to be said there about your body knows Mm. your body knows so much if you just pause to listen to it and often when we are in stressful situations we're operating in adrenaline and cortisol so we're actually really we would struggle to listen to our bodies because you're in your lizard brain you're in survival mode at that point but it can tell you you know if you're approaching a situation where you feel endangered or you feel panicked your body is telling you not to be there. But so often we just ignore that for our whole lives or for two years too long in a job or a relationship. And that's interesting. How do you get people you work with to start to maybe listen to their bodies? At what stage does that happen? I mean, it's, it's again, it's different for everybody. And I think it's, um, it's so beautiful because I, I always say for me, that's the foundational work for me that was the foundational work and um, I really look after my food and my exercise 
you go through you, you go through ups and downs. I'm never never perfect, but it's that sort of consistency which which I'm which I'm talking about here. And often when people work with me, I don't necessarily work with them as a health coach, but just by me and setting the example and the health practices that I demonstrate and show, um, you often find that people start actually following suit. Um, and, I, and I do some bits and pieces, but it's more energy work. It's more about how do you show up fully vibrant, fully energetic, fully present. Mm. It's not so much what you eat and what exercise you do. I wonder if because of all of the working from home and the realizations that people have had about work-life balance during COVID situations, if that's going to get a bit easier for people. I wonder if this stillness and this working from home and this realization that you don't have to work 12 hours a day or commute three hours a day, as so many people do in London, I wonder if that's really going to help people to crave that space to listen to themselves or to be unwilling to go back into situations that really weren't working for them, that now they've had time and space. You talked about going on sick leave mm. to give yourself space to really mm. see clearly. And I wonder if this year and a bit that we've had of of really having some time and space, whether you know willingly or unwillingly, is really going to change people's tolerance for being in those situations that are bullying or just impossible to thrive in. What do you think? I honestly hope so. I hope it is going to make people less tolerant of environments where it's not it's not serving them. It's not healthy for them. Um, we are very adaptable human beings, or natures, or creatures, or whatever we want to call it. Um, so we will, I think, um, readapt to you know whichever way things go. Um, I think for me, the hope is that people would have more of a sense of what's important to them like I think what's 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 really happened for people is people were taking a step back and you know it's sort of a case of case of survival we went into survival mode and um, even just having our safety our health um, um, you know um, being threatened I think it's really given us that sort of reflection time um, so I'm hoping people will be less tolerant to environments that are not healthy for them I definitely know people who have been looking for new jobs or, you know, looking to change jobs or change careers or whatever, but they're definitely less willing to, well, they just say no to employers who are going to require them to be in the office much or full time. And I'm, it's funny because there are still some employers out there who are like, we must still be in the office three days a week. And I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> a lot of people are just unwilling to do that because they realize having a life is really nice. Yeah. I'm I'm wondering, are there any stories you can share about how your work has, you know, how it's it's helped people to really thrive? What are some of the moments that have inspired you and keep you going in the work you do? I mean, absolutely. Um, I, I would say it's early days for me because I have only really um, in the last year or so started coaching, coaching people. Um, and it's wonderful when you get those sort of anecdotes and those um, uh feedbacks where people say you know I was I was just made redundant and my confidence was as an, at an all-time low but you know my release helped me find my roar again you know so really sort of uh, reignited that inner confidence and that strength and that courage to 
to speak up, to, to, to have your spark back. Um, lots, lots of people have had difficult conversations where um, they've probably expected the conversation to go really, really badly, where the conversations have gone really well. <laughs> and, and I think often we have a certain idea of how things are going to go and we have a certain perception or we make assumptions about what other people are thinking and um, often you know we're pleasantly surprised when we actually approach a conversation how receptive people can be to um, to have a conversation especially in your personal relationships I've, I've, I've been seeing that with my clients in their personal relationships quite a lot so they start working with me in a sort of a work setting and hoping to sort of um, improve work relationships but then you kind of see it, it cross over into their personal lives which is really special really really special for me because I got to the point where work became my identity and the relationship oh, yeah. the relationship with my husband and the boys were really really um struggling and it got to the point where they didn't need me anymore where i was i was a little bit redundant and it, i think it took a good eight months six months eight months to um kind of win them back if that makes sense um which which was a tough lesson for me to learn wow Wow. Yeah. Well, pff, my last guest, Titra, if anybody wants to listen, we talked about how much easier it often is to practice things in your work life and then feed them into your personal life because it somehow seems safer or less personal or less like you're going to mess up something that affects people you love. But I love the humility of you starting that whole that whole answer with, well, it's still early days, says the woman who has overcome what you've overcome and written a book and just put out a TEDx talk. You know, I love, come on, come on, really? You have no reason to preface that or pad it in any way. Like you're already having an impact on the world. And also what, what do you feel inside? What's your passion for what your influence and what your impact needs to be on the world? Because you're clearly on a mission. You're clearly very driven. It's the reason you have put yourself out there like this. What do you want the world to look like as a result of your work? But just what do you want the world to look like? So I, I just want to see a kinder world, like um, starting this sort of kindness revolution and um, having having people that are just more tolerant and more um, conscious. I think there's a consciousness shift that I would love to see. Um, and also um, where, I'm, where I'm learning a lot at the moment is that sort of um, we – we always we're always looking in a mirror so we're always recognizing in others what we see in ourselves and therefore it's so important to look at what we have in common especially with people that we dislike and that are sort of opponents and people that sort of repel you um and sort of saying what 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 is it about that person that actually may 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 give me a clue about me and and so really just having a world where people look past their differences to find common ground to find a way to be really kind and really um because because of the uh, abuse in my past I, I really want victims of abuse um, to, 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 to go through that healing journey and not allow themselves to abuse themselves, you know, and, and get to that point where they abuse themselves. Um, so, so for me, it's really about 
just generally the world being a kinder place, but specifically looking at vulnerable people who have been um, victims of abuse who typically mm. then blame themselves and 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 allowing them to realize it's not their fault and and mm. working through that and becoming a be- better version of themselves. What struck me about your answer there was actually wondering how your well, producing what you've produced as a result of bullying and abuse and self-abuse, you know, how how did that bullying actually give you perspective on maybe where that other person is coming from? Which I know is a hard question because like I've experienced that too. And it's really hard when you're in a place of bitterness and trauma to actually step into that perspective and think, this person has bullied me. This person has inflicted immense pain on me. But actually, what's underneath that for them? Yeah. You know, like, how have they been maybe bullied or abused themselves or how are they not conscious or happy and how has that resulted in how they've treated me and coming to a place in my own life of having done a lot of work on this and seeing that whether it's a past boss who's bullied me or parents who you know inflicted physical abuse on me just being able to see things from their perspective and realizing they're not they're not evil people they're not bad human beings and they're not defined by their actions toward me has really been freeing for me. So how, you know, how, sort of how has your answer, how does it reflect your own perspective shift as you've worked on all of this for yourself? hundred percent. So if you look, if I look at the bully in particular, um, I, I really um, have forgiven him. Um, I have really honestly found a place in my heart to really see um, that he was also just someone who was going through some something I have no idea what it was what it is <laughs> but um, there is that and 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 the more you can see that people who treat other people badly are just broken people themselves um, it, it's 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 so powerful in terms of you helping uh, uh, you allowing yourself to to really forgive and to move on and to let go most of most of most of all so yeah so for me it's it's really a case of I actually remember the day the moment where I forgave my bully and and I sort of was able to see to see everything from his perspective and I and actually genuinely think that he he didn't mean to humiliate me in the way he did mm. so yeah wow Wow. And those are the moments of really lightening your energetic load, too, because you no longer have to carry around this burden of it's not about you. It's also, you know, just letting them be human beings, even if you completely disagree and even if it had a really not nice impact on you or others. So, yeah, if you were to pick out one thing that you would want people to remember from either anything we've said here or just in general, what would it be? I think it's really about the the fact that you are your superpower. Um, you don't necessarily have to have any special superpowers, but the fact that you are you is your superpower and giving yourself permission to show up authentically as you. I think that that is the holy grail at the end of the day. And for me, it's about getting out of our own ways and allowing ourselves just to be who we are and 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 be true to ourselves and to own ourselves uh, our story you know to really really take 100% responsibility for for our own stories and who we are I love that and that is a really powerful message and it's yeah 
Own your story. Look at the places that you're not owning your story. And that's often an enlightening moment to see where your work needs to be. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sticking with me through. We had a couple of little tech hiccups there, but I just appreciate so much your vulnerability for what you're putting into the world and how I just feel so much power from you. And I know that with your soft, beautiful South African accent, underneath it lies this immense passion, this immense amount of work and healing that you've done and you're bringing this roar Mm -hmm. to the world. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for Roar. Thank you so much, Betsy, for having me. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) It's been a joy. Thanks, Marilise. Thank you to my team who helped me produce this podcast, to my brilliant editor, Dimitar Tsvetkov, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, and to Luis Amaro for the original artwork. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help me reach new listeners by leaving me a five-star and written review on Apple Podcasts, following me on Spotify, or anywhere else you love to listen to podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at TheBetsyRead. That's B-E-T-S-Y-R-E-E-D. If you're interested in bonus episodes and guided meditations I record regularly, head over to patreon.com and become a supporter. For the price of a coffee each month, you get access to a community. So there's really only one thing left to say. Thank you for spending time with me. Stay uncomfortable.